Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo noirs of today. Each week, we're going to deliver a discussion of our analysis of classic noir films, and occasionally we'll interview up and coming directors and writers of new neo noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. I did now. All right, me too. Test three, four. All right. Was that funky and mixed it up a bit? That was nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> one does what one can. Carly, we have an amazing movie that I know you love that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, it's one of your favorites that we've covered so far. And I just, I'm so excited to talk to you about this movie. I'm joking. She hates this film. Good. I already know I'm it. I'm glad you are. <laughs> I didn't hate it, but... You just didn't understand it. Well, I, I, I felt like I blinked and missed something major. Um, and we'll get to that, but um, I didn't think it was as bad as Carly. Uh, I, I did enjoy it, but it definitely has problems. So it's, it's hopefully this is a little fun to talk about because I think this is the first one we kind of both have agreed is not great before we get into that <clears throat> tonight's drink is a french 75 oh have you ever heard of that no i have not either i've never heard of a french 75 it sounds like a james bond drink or something I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> that doesn't even make sense but all right it it's also contains your favorite alcohol again oh gin Nice. All right. What's in this one? This one has gin. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised anymore. But as soon as I say that an, another ingredient besides the main alcohol, Carly club flips out. Soda. <laughs> Carly club just fucking flips soda. Out. There's no club soda in this, but it doesn't matter. You're still gonna flip out when you hear this, okay? All right. So French 75 contains gin, lemon juice, simple syrup. Dry champagne or sparkling wine. Oh. It's kind of a foo-foo drink, it sounds like. Yeah. All right. But it kind of sounds good, too. <laughs> I don't like champagne, though, so. Really? No. Oh, I like champagne. Do you like sparkling wine? Not really. Really? No. It's too bad. I'll just take the, I'll just take the gin. You're going to have to just take the hit yeah. for the team and just, you know... <laughs> deal with it it might it might open your eyes like memento opened your eyes to uh, neo-noir <laughs> maybe i think it might <clears throat> yes this is a champagne cocktail that does i don't think my husband would appreciate me getting expensive champagne tastes so <laughs> well this doesn't mean you might want to be careful it doesn't mean it's reserved for special occasions like new year's or weddings okay so that's what i'm being told here anyway <clears throat> <laughs> It's actually named after a weapon 
from World War One. Oh. All right, during uh, by the French. All right. <clears throat> it's also Ernest Hemingway's favorite cocktail. Oh. Interesting, well, right? If it's good enough for Ernest, right. it's good enough for us. I think so. Maybe not you, but for me, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wise. Probably accurate. Um, you know, what's I think particularly interesting about this one, besides that it's named after a weapon, which is interesting of itself, is that it's one of the either one of the first or one of the very few cocktails that were created during Prohibition. Ah, one of the first. Yeah. Mm. Um, which, I mean, Prohibition didn't last terribly long, but I figure like during that time, they're trying to be exceptionally creative in what they're doing um, because there's limited supply of alcohol and the types of alcohol that you can get and that sort of thing. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, the first time that it was used, though, or that it was, you know, this style of drink that came up was during the Victorian era. So I would say that's not very far off from, um, you know, uh, coming from you guys. I mean, this, this is this is all you, right? Over in the UK. So. You're welcome. But uh, there you have it, guys. I hope you can enjoy a French 75 with us. Um, I'm going to be drinking it at least. I guess Carly's going to skip this one and just go straight for a straight gen. But uh, again, it's gin, lemon juice, simple syrup, and dry champagne or sparkling wine. So Carly, um, this week we're going to talk about the film Backfire from 1950. Can I go now? Yeah, go. Who needs your dames like you are a dime a dozen? Go on, get out of here, beat it! by Vincent Sherman, starring Edmund O'Brien, Virginia Mayo, and Gordon McRae. Uh, can you give us your famous rundown of this film? I can, I can. A beautiful stranger with an even stranger message visits a World War... Uh, world, uh, hold on a second, Carly. Uh, sorry. Can I do that again? Yeah, yeah. but hold, hold on. Your, your distance from your microphone or something's changed quite a bit. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me turn around. 
How's that? Much better. Much better. Okay. I'll start again with my famous rundown. Yay. Okay. Yay. <laughs> Need to realize what I'm saying. Uh, a beautiful stranger with an even stranger message visits a war veteran trying to recuperate. That, that was it. it. <laughs> That's it. I, I say trying to recuperate because the thing that bothered me the most through this film was this poor man's just trying to get some rest and get to sleep. Gets off to sleep after a nightmare, gets woken up. He's got bloody spinal injuries. And she's shaking him about in the bed, telling him this mysterious message. <laughs> Poor guy. That was that was your worst one yet. Maybe it's because you didn't like the movie. Maybe. <laughs> or maybe I'm just getting progressively worse and my true colors are showing. Oh, I doubt that. I don't Google think, has failed me. I don't think that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I, I was you. I was struggling to describe it because I was struggling to understand what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, I you know this movie's a little tricky because it's uh it seems like it's got all of the elements there for a good movie. It's just it, I don't know, I think it might just be poorly directed. I think might be the the biggest issue. It could be script issues, but I mean, the studios had enough faith in the writers to, you know, really launch their career. I mean, they, they went on to do some better work, uh, most notably with the film that uh, came out right after it, starring, also starring Edmund O'Brien, um, White Heat. But yeah, I, I, I think that this was a little complicated. I mean, essentially it doesn't sound complicated. These two war vets come home. One of them's hurt and he's laid up in the hospital getting better. Um, while his friend, um, goes out and tries to find them a piece of land to buy so they can become farmers. Um, they try to pull their resources together as, as veterans and getting a VA loan and whatnot. And, uh, his friend one day, while while he's recuperating, his friend uh, just kind of disappears. Um, doesn't come and visit him when he feels like he should. And so he becomes worried. <clears throat> his nurse tries to comfort him because obviously he wants to, um, you know, wants, wants him to recover faster and better and not have to stress over this and um, fakes a, a postcard or a letter um, from his friend. But then, like you said, the woman shows up in the middle of the night. Um, like telling, the bloody Riddler. Yeah, and starts you know spouting off this crazy stuff about his friend being hurt and um, needs his help. And uh, obviously she's, she's scared and worried about something. And this gets him scared and worried. And nobody believes him, which is, you know, seems to be a classic noir trope. Yeah. Um, but he's adamant something's wrong because he knows his friend and his friend would be there and show up and, you know, but he sort of believes he might be in Chicago because of the letter that he got, even though <laughs> the letter looks awfully mysterious as if like, uh, you know, letters cut out from a newspaper and a ransom note. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a very odd looking letter. <laughs> um, so maybe it was supposed to be a telegraphed or something. I don't know what it was. It was, it was really kind of a strange letter, but... So anyways, he heals, gets out of the hospital and goes looking for his friend. <clears throat> he finds out very quickly that his friend is wanted for murder. Very quickly. Yeah. 
And, and he uh, literally gets out of a car and gets dragged into the police station. Right. I mean, yeah, he doesn't even get like 10 steps out home. of the hospital. <laughs> no, I don't think he even gets home. Right. And, uh, and then, so the plot starts to unfold about his friend, um, you know, being wanted for murder. And uh, he goes on his mission to try to discover what happened. Um, and this is where the movie really breaks down for me because I was fine with it up to that point. It, I think the, the, the beginning was a little bit too long of a setup. Um, but where it really falls apart to me is we start seeing flashbacks of things that I don't know how we're being told it because now nobody in the room was there to witness these flashbacks. So it's like we're cutting to, to information that helps the story unfold, but doesn't make any sense at the same time, because who's telling us this information that's already happened? It's like we're going to a flashback that nobody in the room knows what happened. So it's really kind of a strange like they did not use flashbacks properly in this film. It's very disjointed. And I normally I am. Um, you know, I'm the flashback queen. Yeah. I love them. And I think they're a brilliant way to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people don't like them, but I do. But I really couldn't, I really couldn't get on board with these flashbacks in this film. No, it's, it's not like Mildred Pierce where she's telling her story. And so everything that we see makes sense. Yeah. Or even DOA, you know, where he's recording himself telling his story. Like everything in those movies makes sense because the flashbacks are being told by somebody who was there to witness it. This movie, we're seeing flashback scenes that nobody witnessed. There's so, no trigger either. There's no like common trigger. It's just like a bit of a clunky transition and oh, right. Okay. Well, that's the guy that's gone missing. So I guess we're in a flashback, are we? Right. Right. It's like, Hey, your friend was in Chicago. Yeah, to Chicago. <laughs> you know, and, and the flashback, I don't know, it, it was really strange. Um, and on top of that, I didn't really like our lead character. No, I didn't. He was very boring. Yeah, he was. He, he reminded me much of, of um, you know, the husband, the first husband in Mildred Pierce, where he's just very stiff. Um, he had know. no charisma, did he? Right. But I liked his friend. The Steve. person that we're looking for. Good um, old Steve. Yeah. Every time he shows up, I'm, I mean, he's, he's, you know, interesting to watch. He's, you know, got more charisma. He's animated, you know, things are happening. And, and so he's fun to watch. And surprisingly, um, the woman that he falls for, um, I'm trying to think of her name right now. Do you recall her name? Um, Lisa. Lisa. The lady plays Lisa. Yeah, uh, the actress's name. Um, apparently, the studio was not happy with her performance in this film. And I thought she was fine. Really? Yeah, so they blacklisted her. They, like, cut her loose, oh. basically. Oh, um, no. Yeah, because of, the, because of her performance in this movie. And I thought she was good. I didn't have a problem with her at all. Um, and they signed the, the guy to, like, a five-year contract. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, ew, what were they watching? <laughs> were they right. watching something else? I don't know. It was very strange. Um that's not cool. Yeah. So I, you know, the, as much of a mess as the movie was logically, you know, with the flashbacks, I, I still had a fairly fun time with it. I, I didn't mind it at all um, until I got to the end and I, I felt like I blinked and just couldn't figure out what the hell was happening. Like 
who the hell was Lou and why is he calling him Ben? <laughs> like I couldn't figure it out. And I had to, uh, I had to, you know, message you Carly and figure out like what, why, why is he calling him Ben? What? I had I, very little more information to be fair. I didn't have a lot more information. But you got it though. You got it. I mean, it doesn't make it make any more sense, but him being the mortician, you know, and they're trying to make, you know, bring a character that we see early on and making him be the Luke character who's the racketeer guy um, and, you know, pulling all the strings in this movie. Um, but it was just sort of like out of left field and it didn't really matter that he was Ben also. It just didn't. What was the point? I mean, just let him be Lou. Just let him be the bad guy. Like he's Lou and we haven't seen him up till now and that's fine. And, you know, it just didn't it didn't help the story and it just it, it all the backstory with the gambling and the the money and all that kind of stuff didn't really matter it didn't really end up mattering because he basically killed her and tried to kill him because he was obsessed with her yeah it was a love triangle movie i yeah. mean that's all that really mattered and and they they spent too much effort at the end there trying to pull all these strings together that didn't you know who cares i mean really we care about you know is this woman Alive or dead? She's dead. Okay. Now, what happens to the guy? What happens to the friend? All these, like the the, it was should have been more about the characters and the plot, you know. And they they tried to push too much plot there at the end that just didn't didn't help the movie at all. So hey, Carly, let's take a break real quick and talk to our listeners about our sponsors. All right, guys, we're back, and we're going to keep talking about this film. There was something that I did like. Mm -hmm. um, I did very much like the bromance that was going on. I oh, like the yeah. fact that in the opening scenes, they, you know, the male bonding, the male friendship. And I love that. And I love the fact that towards the end, the Walsh guy thinks that that he's after him because he's looking for Lisa. Actually, he just wants his pal back. He, he's after Steve. He'll do anything for Steve. Right. And then even at the end, when they drive off, the three of them, and they have that little sign on the back of the car that says Happy Valley Ranch. Yeah. It's almost like a just married sign. <laughs> and it's them two, and then his girlfriend. And it just, that was, that's what I liked. I wish that we could have seen more of that relationship. Now, do you think because of the time period and like, um, you know, homosexuality and things like that were not acceptable? But I mean, we know from history now that that was, you know, it was around, right? Do you think that this might have been sort of a, um, um, you know, I don't know what you would call it, just sort of alluding to that um, from the scriptwriters? Potentially, because, I mean, I think now it, you see a lot of um, films with, you know, male bonding, like stuff like Bad Boys and things like that, where it's all about the guy's relationship. Mm -hmm. Um and that's that's the only bit that I liked in this film is I liked their relationship. I liked the fact that the same thing happened to both of them. And it was like he was going to be out in 10 days and his mate had been gone for 10 days. And there was a lot of parallels and how they dealt with it differently. But they were both there to help each other. And they had the same sort of scenes mm -hmm. with each other, just reversing who was in the bed and who wasn't. And I thought that was fantastic. I just... I think I wonder if that's why there's a bit of a convoluted and complicated bit in the middle is if they were trying to get away from that male bonding sort of story that they had. And they thought, oh, no, we can't have this. 
and made it a little bit complicated to kind of cover that. I don't, I don't know. Because it does kind of feel a bit like two different films. It's true. It does, yeah. For me. Yeah. Like no, the I, opening I and the ending are completely different to the, the mess that's in the middle. Yeah, and well, I think it actually goes back and forth in the middle because I feel like we have two leads in this movie and we have two dames in the movie. You know what I mean? It's like there's, there's yeah. so much uh, convolutedness to it. You know, and I particularly like Virginia Mayo. I thought she was great in this movie. Oh, do you know what? The only time when my interest got pulled back into it was when she um, tricks herself into getting into the doctor's office. Mm, mm -hmm. And then they have, he comes back in and they have that kind of little bit of a fight and he locks her in the room. Yeah. I thought her dialogue was fantastic. I yeah. thought she was amazing. And I was actually a little bit disgusted because I thought this entire film has just completely let her down up until this point. What's she been doing? That's Where's true. She been? Yeah. And I thought the doctor um, played played his role pretty well too. I mean, he was obviously yeah, he was very scary yeah. in that scene. Yeah, so that that whole sequence also is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. that that was the point when I got my interest returned. Mm -hmm. But up until then, I mean, I did laugh at. I do think that this film has one of the most hilarious lines that I think I've possibly heard ever. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> <laughs> um. It's when the it's when he says, "I'm afraid the next time he talks, it will be to his ancestors." Oh yeah, <laughs> I chuckled at that line too. I mean, <laughs> I I think we should give out awards, and I I genuinely think I don't think I've heard a better line than that <laughs> ever. It's so funny too because the actor. I wonder if these when they give like because I've noticed in several of these films like a taxi cab driver will have a line. Right. There's no character really there. It's just a, a taxi driver that would just have a line, <laughs> you know, or, or in this case, the doctor just has a throwaway line. Just comes out with yeah. a golden line. I wonder if it's somebody that like the studio is looking at to maybe sign, but they want to see like how it plays. I don't know. I, I, it, it's it's really weird to me because it was so out of the blue. It's funny. But I don't know. It's just strange. I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but I. Genuinely, no, I'm sure that, it's supposed to be witty. I, I thought that was great. <laughs> I really did. Yeah, it was just, it was really strange to me. It, it did make me laugh, though. And and the, the man laying in bed, uh, was he even Asian? Uh, I mean, he, they, he had the accent, but whenever they show his face, I'm like, what nationality is this guy? Because he doesn't even look Asian to me. Like the other servant... I don't know if you'd call him servant or uh, the other guy that brings him tea or whatever at that house. He looks Asian, but this guy looked, I don't know what he, he was. Sure. It didn't look, but he, he played the, uh, he played the <laughs> accent. <clears throat> I guess you don't have a comment on that one. <laughs> oh no. And to be honest, I, that comment again, draw me, drew me back in. I'd been zoning out for about, 15 minutes before that yeah I really really was struggling with this one I'm not gonna lie which sounds awful no, I, mean, it's fair. A lot. I mean it's fair it's it's kind of a mess it's got some interesting moments to it um but yeah it's it's definitely a mess of a film in my opinion as well um, I wonder if there's any like big fans of backfire out there I mean if there are I'm sure we will find out yeah I I'm mean, sure we will find out <laughs> Give us a call. Let us know. What are we wrong about? Because 
I feel like we're, I feel like the audience at the time also didn't receive it very well. Um, from what I've researched, it just seems like it was not, uh, well received and, uh, somehow launched the writer's careers, um, and our lead characters. Um, and they went on to, uh, make bigger movies like White Heat and, uh, DOA. So give us a call, 818-643-1441, or uh, find us on social media and uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook and send us a message and let us know what you think about um, Backfire. Uh, we're curious if you feel the same about it as us or or if you I love it. I wonder if there was a bit of a struggle with this film, because it seems like there's a couple of different ideas fighting to get through that aren't being looked at. There's like, I really like the whole wor- the World War backdrop. Do you know what I mean? The fact that he's yeah, a I war mean, veteran and he's been injured and he has to rely on other people. Because to begin with, that was a big deal. People were always offering him help and they made him look a bit feeble. And he was like, no, no, I'm fine. I can go upstairs on my own. And then that disappeared. Well, I, I don't think at that... the end it kind of came back like, oh, it's OK. We're out of the jungle now. And I think at the beginning and the end, their relationship, the world war, there was like specific things to tap into and then the middle just completely took them out and removed them and threw them away i think they're just juxtaposing the um idea of war with the idea of the underground um with that sort of stuff you know like saying getting out of the jungle because i mean you know they they consider la or whatever the concrete jungle right which is you know that sort of quip to being in war and it's just a different sort of war i think um but I think another thing that it had against it, because it wasn't received well when it came out, um, but another thing that it had against it, which was very prevalent in like the 80s and probably even the 90s, is mismarketing. Um, they were, you know, they shot this film in 1948, but I think because the studio had issues with it, and rightly so, um, the writers went on to, you know, get a, went on to get a contract with the studio and, and went on to write white heat and white heat was completed and released first and it was well received. Um, which gave the studio, you know, the option of releasing backfire after and sort of writing the success of the writers and, and its stars. Um, but what they did by doing that is they create they released um, artwork that just misrepresented the film, um, and that probably didn't help it. And I think that a lot of films, you know, over over time have have had that same sort of problem. And I guess it gets people to see the film, and that's really all they want. You know, they want that initial cash grab. You know, and then who cares if it is a classic. Who cares if it's a good movie? Who cares, you know, what happens after that? Um, and that's, that's probably what happened with this film. It seems to be anyway. Yeah. But overall, it's biggest issue. I think is just the convoluted gambling stuff that didn't really matter. And the flashback sequences that, you know, who, who the hell is telling us these flashbacks and why are we seeing them when nobody here is, was, was present. Yeah. So there we are. That's backfire. That's our take on backfire. Carly, what what do you uh what would you give backfire? Um Oh, I don't I don't know because um 
I'm fighting against my niceness. Don't, don't. Just what's, what, you know. Uh, okay. To rate this, I'm kind of going back to my big steel where I didn't necessarily appreciate certain things that happened in it, but I didn't think it was particularly bad, confusing, didn't really like it. Um, and that got five. So I think for this, in all honesty, probably you? about a two. A two? Okay. Yeah, which is really low for me. Yeah. I thought you gave Big Steel a six. Maybe I was wrong. Oh, I might have given it a six. I don't uh, know. Something Found that wrong. I think I gave it a seven, right? Um, <laughs> can't remember. Who cares? <laughs> I think I'm going to say two, two, two. gins. Two gins, okay. Two because two I was gin shots, not even two, two gin bottles. Two gin shots, not even full <laughs> gins. Because if it hadn't been for that scene, where is it, Virginia, uh, the nurse breaks mm-hmm. into the office, I think I would have potentially turned it off. This would have been a zero star movie, right? Mm. Can't get yeah. your last hour and a half of your life back. What? How do people rate these one star reviews? Jesus, I'd give it no stars if I could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But here you are anyway, you're leaving a star. Right. Well, I didn't find it absolutely terrible. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed some of the story. It did have some um, throwbacks to me to A Lonely Place with the, uh, the love interest sort of, you know, storyline where you know in the end he can't have the girl um so i enjoyed some of that uh those those noir sort of aspects of it um quite a bit but it was too much of a mess for me um the flashbacks really killed it i I think that was stuff we needed to see and it was the more interesting story and characters to see um but it would have been better if they just played it straight and not had them as flashbacks in my opinion I think we we were would have been better off seeing that stuff play out in order. Um, and for me, I'm not going to grade it quite so harshly, but it's still pretty low on the on the list here. I'm going to give it four gen bottles out of ten. Um, I probably, if I would revisit this movie and watch it again, it would purely just to be to try to figure out the plot better. Um, with all the, you know, just the spewing of plot at the end is just kind of like, ugh, you know, so I, I might would just watch it again just to take notes and write down like what, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe try to see who Ben was again, who, who, who lose our alter ego was, <laughs> but, but that's about it. I would. I don't think I would watch it again. As um, oh, I like this movie. Let me watch it again. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I'm conflicted. I feel bad for doing two gins, but ah, it's a struggle. It was a struggle. Yep, I agree with that. Totally agree with that. So there you have it, guys. Backfire, 1950, directed by Vincent Sherman, starring Edmund O'Brien, Virginia Mayo, and Gordon McRae. Um, give us a call. Let us know what you think. Um, Tell us we're wrong. I want to be wrong about something. Was this a great film and we just don't get it? Quite possibly. I doubt it. We miss a lot. We do blink and miss a lot. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> it happens. All right, guys. Well, this was, I don't know. What What are we on now? Episode uh, 
six. This is episode six. We're almost, we're almost to that um, episode seven hump. But you know, point of no return. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. Next time, Carly. Uh, let's see. I picked backfire. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. So so far, two of my picks, Carly's hated. I didn't hate the Disliked. big steel. I just did. Yes, I just disliked the middle section. All right. Fair enough. Next week, we're going to discuss a personal favorite of mine. I did not pick it, but Carly picked it. <laughs> but she did because I love this movie. Um, why don't you tell them what it is? LA Confidential. Yay. Uh, I think it's a fantastic film. Um, so it'll be no surprise what my rating is. Another guy pay special. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So tune in next time for LA Confidential. Until then. He's looking at you, kid. Bye-bye. this week on the Speakeasy Noir cast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up, available now on Amazon, or you can check out one of our films available on Amazon Prime.